0: Welcome to The Greenhouse Effect. Our hope is that this podcast would be like a greenhouse to help you get unstuck and grow in your full potential because life ought to be fully lived. Welcome back, everyone. This is your host, Steve Perkins, here with my co-host, Tommy Thompson. Hello, everybody. So we've heard from a number of people so far what they're liking and what they want more of. And that's really fun for us because then that gives us some direction of what what you all want to hear. And a few people said, can you guys share more about your stories? So we're going to dive in for the next couple episodes, just a little more about our background. and But more so, what shaped us? What are the experiences, and the people, the places that shaped who we are today and that shaped a lot of the topics that we're talking about?
1: Yeah, it, it's kind of been a lot of years getting to, to this point and a very circuitous type of route getting here. So, um, it's kind of a God-shaped thing.
0: Yeah. It's almost kind of, it's kind of fun to reflect back on it. And, you know, maybe that's the encouragement to a lot of you is, is take the time to think back and reflect on where you've been and what experiences have shaped you and who you are today. It's actually, uh, it can be kind of a neat experience to think back on that. We don't usually take the time for that.
1: Well, definitely. And, and as, we were preparing for talking about this, and I was beginning to reflect back. I think one of the things that stood out is that there was really absolutely nothing about my early years that would indicate the direction that I'm going now. It it wasn't a logical type of thing of, oh, I could see it in him when he was a two-year-old and he was (laughs) speaking into microphones or whatever. It was nothing like that. So this is... This is all kind of a a surprise how this is developed, and that's what life is like, really, for so many of us.
0: Yeah, it's it's all about the journey. And so today, I'm going to play interviewer, and we're going to interview you, Tommy. And you're going to tell us all your deepest, darkest secrets and everything about your past. How long do we have? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, maybe we just start with, give us a sense of, you know, where'd you grow up and what what kind of shaped you as a kid? What were some of your experiences?
1: Yeah, there's not really a lot to tell. I grew up here in Richmond, Virginia. I've lived almost my entire life here in Richmond, and it was a very, very normal average growing up. Wasn't filled with a lot of drama or uh, difficult, traumatic types of things. It was just kind of a normal growing up. I think the, the thing that was almost 100% of my life was sports. Yeah, I just, you know, anything having to do with a ball was something that was <laughs> interesting to uh. me. So I was, uh, you know, played football and uh, basketball and lacrosse and golf and tennis and just anything and everything. And that's all I really cared about. You know, the rest of it, you know, school was just something that you had to do to get to the sports. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, And that was really kind of the only thing that was on my mind growing up for, you know, almost, well, all of those years. Were, we didn't,
0: you, were you pretty competitive in sports?
1: Uh I was extremely competitive. Uh-huh. I've always had an incredibly competitive. Doesn't surprise uh, me somehow. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's I, I, I kind of tend to think that I mask it, but I don't actually very well. <laughs> so I'm very competitive. I was, and part of that was I was uh, probably a little bit above average, but not a lot above average. Mm-hmm. So I had to be competitive to try to excel. So that was the only thing that was going to um, help me along the way. And I was young for my grade, which also meant I was always small for my grade. Okay. So I was small and a fighter (laughs) kind of at at all the different sports, which was fun. I kind of liked that identity of being uh, scrappy and uh, always fighting to, you know, do more than it seemed like I could do. Uh
0: Uh-huh. Do you remember, I mean, who were some of the people who kind of had an influence in your life at an early age?
1: Uh, Well, I always aspired to my older brother because he was six years older and he was a phenomenal athlete. So I aspired to try to impress him in everything that I did uh you know followed lots of the the athletes the professional athletes at at the time but usually not really the stars it was the underdogs oh, I yeah. was always kind of oh. like the underdog uh-huh you know those were the people that I tended to aspire to
0: yeah and then what about school
1: School came mostly pretty easy for me. What was the worst
0: Uh, what was the worst subject for you? Oh, I
1: was horrible at science. (laughs) Anything science, particularly that that involved the hands, my my hands shake, so I, I just don't do anything that has an experiment attached with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'd spend twice the time on a dissection of anybody else, and it just looked like someone had, you know, torn whatever it was apart. So I was horrible <laughs> at science. And at the same time, I could do math with my eyes closed. Yeah. You know, that was very easy. You are a
0: numbers guy, naturally.
1: Yeah. It, it always just came very easily to me. And um, and I enjoyed it because it Came easily to me, but I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't really in love with anything particularly in school other than the sports. Yeah. So from there, I went to uh, Davidson College, and almost by default, I was a sociology major because I was just taking classes, and all of a sudden, I had to declare a major, and I'd kind of shut out by virtue of some of the classes I'd taken, other choices. So, I was a sociology major, and but kind of a a journalist. I took philosophy, some religion, took some music, probably as little English as I could, because Uh that involved a lot of work, reading and (laughs) uh, writing. So, um,
0: Did you have any uh, thoughts or sense of what you wanted to be when you grow up?
1: I was very involved in the Christian fellowship. It was an inter-varsity fellowship at, uh, at Davidson, and that was what really excited me. Mm -hmm. That, and I also helped start a club lacrosse team because I was very big in, I was a lacrosse goalie. And so I was very big into lacrosse. So I helped start and play coach uh, a team there. So that was a lot of fun, but I was really involved in the Christian fellowship there, led a small group, moved into leadership. And it was there that I, I got my first taste of enjoying and feeling a passion for speaking in front of people and helping to hopefully motivate and teach and inspire people. And that's where that started to kind of explode within me. And I went, wow, this, this is something I really care about and, and have a real passion
0: for. That's cool. What did that lead to after college?
1: Well, Because all I'd done in high school was sports and to some degree in college also, I had never done anything in the workplace. Uh, So when it came time junior and senior year to begin to look for a job, and it was a liberal arts, small liberal arts school, I really had no idea what to do. So the only thing that made sense is people told me that I was good in Christian leadership and that I could speak. And so I thought, well, I guess I'll just go to seminary then and see what happens. I thought maybe I might get involved in some parachurch ministry after school, but I I had no idea really what I wanted to do. So it was kind of the logical thing is this is what I seemed to do well and what people told me I did well. So i said, well, I'll go ahead and give this a try. Uh Wasn't really very... Strategic. It wasn't like a uh, an amazing call from above or anything. It was just seems like the logical thing to do. Uh-huh. Strange way to go into it, but that's what it was for me.
0: Yeah, college can be kind of a funny time because even though you are becoming very aware, learning about yourself and meeting other people, it's also kind of you're a little bit clueless about what's happening. Sometimes you look back on college, you're like, wow, there's just so much I wasn't seeing. Well,
1: it's totally true. And, and I was very clueless. I had not an ounce of ambition in me. Uh, I hadn't done anything. Wait in the, a
0: minute. Really?
1: No, oh, totally. No, I just, I mean, I'd never been one day working in a business in my life. All I'd done was camps during the summertime. And so I was just clueless. I just kind of did the next thing and figured it would all work itself out and and really wasn't particularly wired to think about the future.
0: Yeah. Okay. So what was in the picture at this point?
1: Well, early on in college, I began dating my now wife, Weezy. She was a year behind me at Davidson. So my sophomore year, her freshman year, Uh we started dating and we dated throughout the entire time uh, at Davidson. So. Pretty quickly on, we could see this was a a serious relationship and was probably going somewhere. Yeah, and And, she
0: was saying, Tommy, where's your ambition? Come on.
1: Well, she wasn't, interestingly enough, and I think uh, what very much amazes me is when we got to the point a year into seminary where I asked her to marry me and called her parents, who Her dad was very successful in business. Now, looking back on it, I'm absolutely amazed that he didn't have massive hesitation for this guy that was one year into seminary and seemed to have no ambition. He didn't seem to have any hesitation. So that's kind of surprising looking back on it.
0: So what happened moving into career? Because I know you mentioned in in the first couple episodes your experiences in business. And then a lot of that shaping who you are today. What happened with all of that? How'd you get your start in that?
1: Well, I think it's kind of interesting and I think it does play into probably a place that a lot of people are at in that where I moved in my life was no one could have ever predicted it. I remember talking to my roommate who I lost contact with um, a few years uh, after college and Called and talked to him on the phone. I said, So, you know, what do you think I'm doing now? (laughs) And he said, Well, I don't know anything but business, which was exactly where I was going with my whole life. Uh So it just surprised a lot of people that I went that direction. But after seminary, and as I was finishing seminary, I began getting together for lunch with my other brother who was heavily into business and had always kind of been business and entrepreneurially minded. And all of a sudden I I got this bug within me. I found it fascinating what he was dealing with in this, this uh, open world of creating a business and growing a business and inspiring and motivating people. And all of a sudden something kind of lit underneath me that wow, this could be really fun and interesting, kind of at the same time getting maybe a little tired of, of just the, the routines of working in a school, which I was at the time, and, and going through semester after semester that looked the same. And so all of a sudden I, I kind of got interested in doing something new and creative and bold and risky and challenging Uh, Yeah. So that then led me to join him in business, which then led to us buying and developing and growing and getting involved in a whole bunch of businesses all at once.
0: It's interesting that you mentioned the creative aspect of that, because you are kind of a person who's pretty driven and you create structure in things, but you also have a side of you that's very creative, I think they actually they actually kind of work together,
1: well, and that's something that I didn't realize for a long time i i I would have always told people in my twenties and thirties that I am utterly uncreative, really, because I always associated creativity with art, and I was somewhat musical, but that was not the way I was wired, but when it came to creating a vision for something. Oh man, that was just completely up my alley and totally the way my my brain worked. And it wasn't (laughs) until later that I began to realize, man, that's that's a highly creative part of who I am.
0: Yeah. So what was that first business?
1: The first business was a telephone answering service. We like to call it a communications business.
0: Okay, you have to explain what telephones are for the yeah our audience.
1: Yeah, this was uh, we called it a communications business because that sounded a lot more glamorous. <laughs> but basically, we had a 24-hour telephone answering service was one branch of it. We sold pagers. Uh, you don't have that many pagers except for doctors anymore. Uh, we had voicemail at the very infancy of the voicemail business, and we sold the very first cellular telephones. Whoa. So it was a small business, uh, probably 20, 30, 40 employees, not not. Particularly big. And it was such a hard business Thank because God. it was 24 hours a day that we had people answering telephones. Sometimes they were life and death phone calls for doctors. Uh, and yet we had hourly people working on what was at that time very sophisticated computer equipment. And no matter how well we did it, we, could never do it perfectly. Yeah. You know, you take 100,000 messages, you're going to miss 1% is hmm. 1,000 mistakes. Yeah. And we would hear about every one of them. So it was <laughs> a, it was a really hard business. So we were so happy when one day someone called us from out of town and said we would like to buy your business. We <laughs> want to move into the rich market. And we went, really? You sure? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So we were so glad when we got the opportunity to actually sell that business.
0: That's cool. What came after that? So
1: we, then we began to actually look for businesses to buy. We still had, my brother had a vending company that we could kind of use to occupy us. And we began looking, we looked for a year and all of a sudden at the end of one year, we found two businesses at once. We probably looked at a hundred different businesses (laughs) and nothing appealed. And we found two businesses at once. One was a very small video production company at the time, had two employees and they were just looking for a little bit of business expertise, which was what we did. And they shot, low-end commercials at the time and anything kind of video-related. So that was a business that we could kind of invest in but not be actively involved in. And then at the same time, we found a chain of retail stores. It was actually a chain of surf shops, which sounds kind of uh, pretty meager, but these were pretty substantial Surf Uh shops, 17th Street Surf Shop, which on the East Coast is probably one of the largest surf shop retail chains, and it had six stores, was being run in Virginia Beach, which was about two hours from Richmond, and it was just killing it. It was an amazing business, and so we decided to jump way outside of our comfort (laughs) zone. We were not beach guys, so to speak, and and to buy and thought that this had tremendous growth potential. So we jumped into the surf shop business. Well, the minute we did that, they sold a massive amount of T-shirts every year. So we thought, well, why don't we have our own T-shirt printing company instead of paying someone else to do that? So we started up a screen printing company. So within a matter of a couple months, we went from one company to four, a vending company, screen printing company. (laughs) chain of retail stores and a video production company in two different locations, Wow! it all of a sudden was just overload beyond
0: description. Mm. I'm guessing that has something to do with a lot of the topics we talk about on this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, it
1: it does. And it's probably another episode, but uh, coming to that experience of complete overwhelm, which was also at the time we were beginning to uh have a family. Our daughter was born in the same year that we bought the 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 surf shop oh, wow. business and started the screen printing business. Uh-huh. Also got involved in some real estate. Uh so it all happened at once. And during that time I was also heavily involved at church, teaching Sunday school, elder in the church. Uh did just about everything. And so and they were all good things. Yeah. But it just came crashing down all at once.
0: What was that like coming up on that experience?
1: Well, it was actually beyond description how hard it was. You know, shortly after we bought the the chain of retail stores, the country went into a huge recession. It was the same time as the first Gulf War which took huge percentage of the Virginia Beach population out of the area because mm-hmm. it was a, a naval port in in the area and all of a sudden our business started to tank and it was huge at the same time we had had a loan related to the business and that was also during the savings and loan crisis and the bank that we were banking with was taken over by the RTC and so now all of a sudden our loan was was under scrutiny. Wow! So everything was caving in at once, and I'd never experienced anything like that. I mean, a couple of years ago, I was just playing lacrosse, <laughs> <laughs> right? And so this was completely outside of anything I'd experienced, and I'd never experienced stress like this. And I, I, I thought I was going to fold.
0: I bet. Yeah, there's no handbook for that kind of stuff.
1: No, and that is what kind of got a whole new path going for me in a lot of different ways of saying that I can no longer just rely on, you know, my growing up and thinking I can figure it out. I I, I got to start growing. I got to start figuring this out. I got to start investing. And so that really catapulted a whole new stage for me.
0: So to kind of like time out from that for a sec, because you talk about um, kind of developing early on a bit of a life mission and, and what are you about? How, did that, how does that fit in at this point in time?
1: Well, uh, what I found is that I had some really strong competing passions. I was running these businesses, uh, running 100 miles an hour with these businesses and I, I loved them at, at a certain level. But I also felt like, well, what is this for? Am I just doing these businesses so that I can make a lot of money, so I can have a lot of money? What's the purpose in that? At the same time, I was very involved at church, and I was teaching and helping people from a marriage class to a class on personal growth to spiritual development, and I was finding that that was where my heart was really getting drawn, even though I was... Good at the other stuff, and so I found myself um, torn in two different directions and and so that naturally led me to the question, well, what am I supposed to be doing? yeah, who am I? what is my purpose in life which caused me to then step back and begin a process of trying to discover who I was created to be and what I was created to do. Uh, And so that was a very creative process for me, but one where I had to figure out how do all these things fit together that don't seem to fit together, you know, at any level.
0: Okay, so you are running multiple businesses. You are still, in some ways, learning a lot about all of that. You have kids coming into the picture, and you have all kinds of responsibilities at your church and other areas of leadership and all of this going on, and you start experiencing some of these big challenges. What did you start to learn just as a person growing in life and leadership and wisdom?
1: Well, I learned that I'm not that impressed with myself (laughs) that what it looked like from the outside didn't feel like what it felt like on the inside. You know, from the outside, it looked like I was running all these businesses. And, of course, you don't really see that whether a business is doing well or not, at least, you know, at a certain level. So from the outside, it looked like everything was Going great. I was teaching. I was important at church. I was important in business. I was, quote unquote, successful. But it felt like that was the opposite. Felt like things were really hard. Felt like I wasn't uh, able to be the father that I wanted to be, or the husband. And I was juggling, you know, four or five days a week out of town, and feeling like I was basically letting everybody down, and that right around the corner, it was all going to implode and I would be uh, exposed. (laughs) And it was terrifying. It was terrifying. And yet, at, at the same time, I think I had a persistence, maybe from that underdog days of high school, that I was going to fight. I was going to fight really hard. So I just kept on pushing. I kept on going, even when people were saying, look, this is just, you know, this is not working, just move on. And I I wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. And so I learned both to keep on pushing and I learned to give up my stress to God. And that was the first time that I started getting up really early in the morning because it was the only way I could get through the day, was to have some significant time to settle myself before I knew I was going to be running right into a fire.
0: Hmm. You know, it kind of strikes me because you and I both have personal issues with the word success, and you know, we eat, breathe, sleep, stuff in that realm. The topics around being successful, and yet neither of us are really big fans of that word because anyone who experiences any kind of what people might say is success, there's a lot of challenge and struggle that goes along with it.
1: Yeah, there, there's a bit of an illusion to success because it implies arrived and very few people feel like they've arrived.
0: So those experiences taught you a lot, sounds like, and you started growing a lot and kind of creating more, creating new rhythms in your life. How did all of that kind of lead to where you are now and what you're doing now? What what was that path like?
1: Well, the businesses went through ups and downs, as businesses do. We survived some really tough things uh, in several of the businesses. Um, and then they would go better for a while, and they would then have another tough period and then they would do a little bit better. And so that was kind of uh I wouldn't say a roller coaster, but it was uh it was just up and down and that was doing a lot of work at church and was loving that at the same time. And then um what happened to us was probably most people's worst nightmare, it was certainly our worst nightmare. Um In 2010, uh, my daughter was diagnosed with stage four cancer. She was a sophomore in college. We were kind of that family that looked like everything was great, that everything was going well. Um, And in a lot of ways, it was. uh, Things were going great. So this came out of the blue, she was about as healthy as could be, and in the matter of one phone call, all life turned upside down. That, uh, that changed uh, everything. Fortunately, I think from that period of overload, back when the businesses were going uh, gangbusters and we were trying to keep our head above water, uh, I had learned that I needed space. I had learned that just adding more on onto the plate doesn't work, and so I'd begun to build margin into my life. I'd begun to build actual rhythms into my life that that felt good. That felt like family wasn't being neglected, nor was business, nor was my passion for teaching, and had slowed down tremendously because I knew that that was where the best of life come came from. When my daughter was diagnosed, I realized I absolutely relied on those slower rhythms. All of a sudden, nothing was really important to me other than doing everything I could for my family, Yeah, to keep my family together in the worst of times, to try to protect my daughter, to try to figure out what we could do to save her, as well as to save my family, who were we were all suffering from, from this, and her battle with cancer uh, was an almost seven-year battle of all sorts of ups and downs, times when it would get slightly better, times of immense joy as she got married uh, partway, halfway through that journey, but also just constant doctor's visits, scans. Uh, It was always an incredibly dangerous uh, uphill battle for the cancer. And uh, in 2016, after six and a half years, uh, she died from the cancer. Uh, And all of a sudden, I had this huge vacuum that was certainly filled by grief and by trying to rebuild our lives, our family's life. Um, But also, I had put aside so much of my work in business to give the attention to my family that I had space that I'd never had before. And for the first time, I could kind of say, look, my passion is really to teach and to help grow people. And I now know more than ever how important this is. Mm. I know what's at stake, you know, that this thing that people are striving for more and success and more money that it's empty. And so uh, my vision for what's important, what matters, it utterly changed along that eight-year journey. That we'd been through, and I now knew you know i I didn't want to waste any more time than was absolutely necessary i wanted to I wanted to give all of myself into trying to help people and share with people and help people grow and find meaning and purpose to their lives uh, so uh, that's what really created a change for me from being an entrepreneur running businesses to starting to teach and to share and to do podcasts and to do life coaching and writing, things that I feel like are sharing life, sharing what my life's been about with people. And
0: there's a sense when you do that, that you're drawing on those different experiences, that you're drawing from things that you really thought through or wrestled through or worked on yourself.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Part of my wiring through all of of these years has been always to be a learner, always to be someone who's trying to figure out a better way of doing things, whether it's running the business or whether it's figuring out a better way to uh, be a a dad or to balance life. Uh, So I've always been wired to... To learn and to grow. And so, uh, those years going through the difficult times in business, and then those years with my daughter's cancer, was learning on steroids. Hmm. It was like every lesson was magnified times 10. So, the intensity with which I feel and the things that I've come to believe in that are essential is huge.
0: Uh, I think one thing that's really, that people who know you really appreciate is that sense of let's just be honest about this stuff. Like, we don't have to try to pretend hard stuff isn't hard or try to pretend that our dreams aren't really there inside us, but to just be honest about it all and to kind of think holistically. And so, even in your story, I think you can kind of hear how. There are things with work and things with life and things with ministry and all these different parts of your life that were all shaping um, shaping those lessons.
1: Well, absolutely. And I would be uh, such a hypocrite if I expressed anything other than I'm a fellow struggler, that I've gone through really hard things. I've learned some things. Some things have gone better than others. I've been really weak. I've barely survived. That's, that's really all I have to offer is some lessons out of the struggle that I think other people struggle in similar ways. So it's, it's really the commonality that I feel that uh, the more I'm with people, the more I understand, man, we're, we're all hurting. You know, we're all trying so hard and we can encourage one another. And so that's what I care about, not impressing people.
0: Yeah. And at the same time, there's a sense of, uh, I think you even said it in one of the previous episodes, let's be real about that struggle, but don't necessarily just try to stay there. Let's try to actually build things into our lives to experience a healthier life and experience More satisfaction and to help and impact people even more with the gifts we've been given.
1: It's so true. I mean, I I really don't want to. And I, I hate it when there's a tendency to glorify struggle and to glorify the journey. You know, I want to be more than that. And I think there is the opportunity for more than that. So the struggle is real, but the possibilities and the hope and the potential is real too. And we do have the possibility of finding joy in life in the midst of incredibly difficult things and discovering peace. And we have the possibility of caring for one another and we have the possibility of not being pulled down all these rabbit holes that our culture wants to pull us down. So while the struggle is real, the potential is real too and and so I want to encourage people that we can grow that we can have to use a maybe a trite where we can have victory in our lives
0: that's awesome i'm sure this has helped people in a lot of different ways, probably different parts of your story resonate with different people but is there anything you'd really want to leave listeners with or any kind of takeaway?
1: What I what I would really hope is that people would hear a story like this and feel hope that they would see perhaps their own lives which in their own minds are very ordinary, routine, mundane, maybe not all that they imagined that it could be and that they could see hope and possibility that we can grow, and that even really difficult circumstances can be used for good. So my real hope is that people would feel hope and find hope and perhaps be renewed and refreshed in an effort to move forward when maybe they were feeling a little bit defeated.
0: Yeah, there's a sense of there's highs and lows in life, and going through those, And not necessarily trying to go around, but really living through those and experiencing the lows, but also experiencing the highs and taking the lessons to just keep growing and helping more people. Uh, There's a bit of a theme in that that is really cool to see.
1: Well, think how amazing it would be if, if we all banded together living that way, started caring for one another and encouraging one another and lifting one another up. Think of what could happen. So, I think that actually gets, gets me really excited.
0: It does. It does. And it's cool that, you know, I don't know, that the ends of the spectrum might be, you know, full on narcissism and just thinking about yourself versus this completely overly sacrificial trying to help everyone to the detriment of yourself. And I think what we're hitting on is a little bit somewhere in the middle where if you can help yourself be, be the best you can be and be really healthy and vibrant and have a focus on those around you. I mean, how cool is that? And how, how much of a ripple effect that has absolutely. throughout a community or throughout people's lives? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So, you know, we keep, on, we keep on fighting, you know, I mean, keep on moving forward. And we went through certainly the most excruciating experience for a long, long time that people can go through. And I know, so many other people are going through incredibly excruciating things. So you can make it. You can get through it, and and God will be with you in the midst of it. And I don't say that lightly.
0: Well, thanks for sharing your story, Tommy, and being so honest. And obviously, there's a lot more that you weren't able to share in this short time, but um, this was really a pleasure to be able to dive into some of that. And I hope Everyone listening was able to get something out of it, too. Here at Greenhouse Effect, we are big fans of our friends at Belay Solutions, a company that provides incredibly top-notch virtual staffing. They actually provide us with executive assistance, but they also staff bookkeepers, web specialists, and social media managers. And the thing is, their customer experience is just incredible, and they have a way of finding just the right people for your needs. So we want to give you a taste of what it's like to work with Belay, from one of their clients dave richards the ceo of elite performance associates belay saved me when i was focused on growing my business you know i can think of recently um, i was working with a
1: high profile uh, you know federal government agency on a conference for them and it had a lot of moving parts you know my va allowed me to confidently let go of all of those things and just focus solely on preparing content and delivering a high-value program to the client. Belay follows up with me, how can I give more, this constant prodding of, you know, how do you, how can we help you more? How can we pull more from your plate so that you can do, you know, what you're meant to do and what you're best at?
0: If you resonate with any of this and want more information, go to belaysolutions.com slash next step. The link is also in the show notes, and we've partnered with Belay to give you $200 off your startup fees. Why don't you take us out on a book recommendation and maybe, you know, given the topic today, maybe touch on a book. I know it's hard to pinpoint one, but touch on a book that's been really kind of life-shaping for you.
1: Well, I think I've already recommended Margin. So uh, that that might be a repeat, but uh, I'm going to just risk repeating it. All right. Because the book Margin by Richard Swenson hit our family at a time in life when we were completely overloaded, and we didn't actually know that there was another way that we could live. We thought as long as we're doing good things, it doesn't matter how many good things we're doing. And we were drowning in good. Hmm. And he gave a way out with the book Margin. And so uh, actually, I'm just going to say, if you've been listening to all the episodes, thank you so much. Forgive me for for re-mentioning this, but that is a a game-changing book, Margin by Richard Swenson.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with a friend. Don't forget to subscribe, and come on, do us a favor, leave a five-star review. It'll help others find the show too.